Hello and good day to all of you. I am glad that you have found your way back. It's good to be uh, in fellowship. It's good to be in God's Word, Luke chapter 15, where we have some uh, rather well-known parables that we are going to be talking about. And if you didn't guess it by our introduction here or conclusion yesterday, uh, we're going to be talking about the lost sheep, lost coin, prodigal son, but you probably already knew that because I'm sure you all are just such good and disciplined folks that you already read Luke chapter 15. If you didn't, that's okay. I'm still glad you're here. We'll give you a pass just today, but then go back and read it. All right, we're at Luke chapter 15. And um, this really is on the heels of what we talked about yesterday with uh, the parable of the great banquet and fellowship, especially table fellowship, who you're going to be eating with. And the reason why Jesus actually is going to be going into these parables, not just because he likes talking about um, being lost, but really it's, uh, as it says in the beginning of chapter 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is going to be telling these parables as to why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Really to set the stage, I want you to think about being lost. Have you ever been lost? It's not fun, right? And eventually you, you find your way out, you find your way back. But I don't want you to think about that kind of a loss. I, I want you to think about maybe a, a picture of someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. You have someone in mind, perhaps? I remember in my vicarage congregation, the service was about ready to start when an individual came in uh, who I knew had Alzheimer's, right? She was looking for her husband. Her husband didn't see her walk in. She was in the restroom, didn't see her walk in, and she was just looking around absolutely lost. She had no idea where she was supposed to be going or really even who she was supposed to be looking for. She was not going to be able to find her way to her seat. That's kind of the depravity that I want us to think about when we think about these parables. It's not a matter of getting ourselves back on track. It's not like that. It's the fact that we have to be found. Isn't that what that great hymn uh, says? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I've been found. We don't find ourselves. Maybe our contemporary language loves to, to say things like this, right? We can find ourselves, but no, we, we have to be found. We're lost. And that's what these parables are talking about. We know sheep are not the brightest of animals. You probably know that, right? Stinky, smelly, disgusting sheep. Sometimes they get lost. They're stubborn. They do what they want to do. Sound familiar? <laughs> Find themselves in situations where they're filthy, where they're dirty. Maybe their wool gets stuck in the thicket, or the thorns. I don't know. How do you get back? Sometimes we're stuck. Need somebody else. This is what Jesus was talking about when he tells this story. He says, imagine that there were these sheep huddled together, but one goes off missing. Surely I'm going to be the one that goes to find them. Now that's talking about Jesus. 
But of course, any good shepherd worth their salt will go and, and find the sheep. Now, don't think of this as neglecting the 99. Usually they work in pairs, right? Somebody stays with the ones that have been left behind, but, but somebody has to go look for them. That's what a shepherd does. This is money here. This is important. This is property. You can't just let them wander. You have to go find them. But see, I love this. When they find him, what do they do? Picks him up on the shoulder, right? You have to bear the weight of the one that was lost. Someone has to take that weight. The the sheep are not just simply going to follow the shepherd's voice, though they'll recognize it. But usually they're just in fear, right? The shepherd can't just whistle and the sheep comes running to find him. No, they have to search. They have to look for them, go to the, the deepest spots, the scariest places, maybe the edges of a cliff or even beyond that. It's very possible that the sheep got stuck in a really bad spot. But that good shepherd's going to find him. And when he does, what does he do? He hoists them on his shoulders and brings them home and celebrates. And we're going to come back to that. But there's this other parable that we need to look at. The parable of the lost coin, where this woman has 10 silver coins. This is pretty valuable, right? And it makes sense that she's going to do everything she can to find it. And when she finds it, she finally is just so excited. You ever had that happen? Maybe you lost something, your keys. Not necessarily as valuable as these coins for this woman, but you find them in such a relief, right? You're, you're joy-filled that you have what was lost again. But you know what I find so interesting about these two parables? Isn't that these two individuals will go looking for them, but it's the celebration that happens afterwards. This is what really strikes me. This woman, after she finds these coins, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me for I found the one coin that I lost. Now, I like having parties as well as anybody else. And I like being invited to parties. Let's find a reason to party, sure. But you know what I've never done? I've never lost my keys. Or let's do something maybe a little more valuable. I don't know, a pet, a dog. I, I never found my dog and then called my neighbors and said, hey, come back. Come over, come rejoice with me at my house. We're going to have a party because I found my lost dog. No, I've never done that. You haven't either. Even if my wallet was loaded with money, which I don't think it ever has been loaded with money, but you get the picture. If I was to lose it, I'm not going to call my friends and then use that money (laughs) to have a party for them. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Maybe so. At the same time, maybe what it better shows is how much God loves you and I. Where he does celebrate and he does rejoice. Because that's how much you and I mean to him. Not that we are worth that much on our own, but really because he loves us He gives us our worth. We're more than sheep, more than just coins, more than a dog, more than a wallet. To him, we're worth dying for, aren't we? That's amazing grace that we see here. Heaven celebrates because that's how much the divine loves us. 
So when we repent, when we come back, God is just so happy that this relationship has been restored. He just rejoices over this relationship. Wow. What a loving God we have. But then we have this other parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, my guess is this is, again, one that you all know really well, and I, I'm not going to give a big, long sermon on it, though believe me, I could, right? Um, and you're going to have to forgive me if there's some things I say here that you already know about, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page and really understand the depth of this one, right? Or there's this young individual who's not the firstborn, He's the second born. He wouldn't get as much stuff. So there really isn't as much of an inheritance for him as the older brother. So you'd think maybe the older brother is the one that would really want this uh, separation of the land, the property to, to come up so that he could get what's coming to him. The brother probably gets one third, the younger one. The older one probably gets about two thirds. That's what I read. So the younger one gets about a third. It could be a lot. I, I don't really know. But he asks for it. Now, typically, this is done when a person dies, though the law does say that it can be given to an individual while they're still alive. But I don't know. I think you can make a, a case that this young man is really just wanting what's his, doesn't really care about the relationship. Probably insulting to the family. You can guess that by the way he takes the money and runs, right? He doesn't stick around. He wants to go live the life, do what he wants to do. He wants to live for himself, and it says that he lives recklessly. He's got nothing left. But he can't go back home, right? He's already squandered the money. There's nothing left for him to have. What's the rest of the family going to say, right? Can I really return home? So he has to hire himself out. And can you imagine this good Jewish boy hanging out with the pigs? (laughs) The unclean animals. Yeah, but I think that's kind of the point. He's in a really bad spot. Unclean spot. Where's he going to go? What's he going to do? In fact, it's so bad, he's longing to eat what these unclean animals are eating. He wishes he was this unclean animal. Wow, that's pretty low. But then he has this great idea, right? I'm going to go home. My father has servants. I don't need to be a son. I'll be a servant. Being a servant in my dad's house is better than being a lost son out here where I have nothing to look forward to. I want us to think about that. This guy isn't saying that he wants to return home to make amends. He doesn't say that he feels sorry about the things that he's done or or how he's treated his family or the wealth. Wasn't good stewardship. He's looking out for himself. Call it what it is. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father I've sinned against God and against you. But all the while, he's really thinking about how this is going to benefit himself. But while he was still a long way off, the father runs to him. See, this is absolutely amazing. I think sometimes when we look at our relationship with God, we tend to think about how we have to do right things or good things in order for him to be pleased with us. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that God designed us for. We are called to keep the commandments. Yes, that is good and pleasing. 
But many people approach this whole thing as they have to do the right confession or say the right thing in order for God to love them again. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to do the right thing, the good thing. But is the relationship that we have with God that fragile? That if we mess up, if we fall, if we sin, are we going to be completely cut off? Is the father going to say, get away, go to the pigs. That's where you belong. Now, indeed, he could. He would be justified, right? He says, be holy as I am holy. But this parable illustrates the love of God in a completely different way. He doesn't wait for this child to come to say the right words or to give the right confession. I love this. But the father sees him coming from far away. And what does he do? He rejoices. He rejoices. And he runs. He doesn't wait for the confession. He doesn't wait for the right words. He just goes. He just goes. Nothing is going to get in the way of seeing his son. Even if it means hiking up his robe and running doing something that would be completely beneath him, right? As a noble individual, owner of the property, you wouldn't expect him to run like this unless there was something that he was very joyful about. He sees his son. Do you ever think about that? When you come to church on a Sunday morning, that God is so joy-filled to see you? As a son and a daughter, he, he just is so excited to see you. Or when you open up his word, he's just so excited that you want to hear what he has to say. Because that's the kind of relationship he has with you. He doesn't want you to be far away. He wants you to be near. That's how much grace our God has for us. See, that's why a lot of people, when they talk about this parable, they say it really shouldn't be called the parable of the prodigal son but really should be called the graciousness of the father. Because the youngest son really didn't have the greatest of intentions. Perhaps that confession was really just about him looking out for himself or going through the motions just so his life could be a little bit better. I don't know, maybe when we come to confession, we have the same kind of attitude. Well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. But I love that idea that the father... Can't wait to see us. Now, of course, we should confess because there are sins that we need to confess of, right? But our Father loves us. Whatever happened, though, to that oldest son? Well, he finds out that the youngest one returned. He's not happy, is he? In fact, he gets upset. He doesn't want to come in and join the party. He gets mad that this fattened calf has been killed. He doesn't want to go in. His brother was lost probably wants to treat him as being dead. But the father comes out and starts talking to him. He says, what's the problem? <laughs> That's my version. He said, Father, look, I I've worked for you all these years and you've never given me anything. You've never allowed for me to party and, and be with my friends. But the son comes and he's wasted all of your stuff away. And you throw him a party for it. See, what we really find in all of this 
is that everything the younger son did while he was away was probably really what the older one was wanting to do as well. But the younger one got away with it. See, while he might have been remaining with the father, his heart was somewhere else. I think what we find is that the older son, a.k.a. Um, the Pharisees, are just as lost as the younger son, a.k.a. Um, the tax collectors, which is what this parable is all about, right? Why is Jesus eating with tax collectors? Because Jesus eats with sinners. He welcomes them. He wants them to return. Now, the parable ends up with Jesus saying this, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Look, we should be rejoicing. We should be rejoicing because the one that we love has returned. This is enough for all of us to celebrate. So the question then for this older son, are you going to come in and celebrate with us or not? And that's really the question that Jesus has for the Pharisees. Look, these tax collectors and these sinners, they want to be with me. They want to repent. These are God's children too. These are the lost coins. These are the sheep. These are the lost sons. Are you going to come in and celebrate with us too? Because let's be honest, you're lost as well. Are you going to join the celebration? Or are you going to stay away? Are you going to cast yourself out of the family inheritance? Are you going to disconnect yourselves? See, that's why these parables are so important. Because it's demonstrating the relationship that Jesus is having with the tax collectors and the sinners. And also demonstrates the attitude of the Pharisees as they are coming to Jesus. Kind of thinking that he should be with them but he's not. Jesus has come for those who need him. He's come for the tax collectors and the sinners. Pharisees, do you want to join him? Are you going to associate with tax collectors and sinners as well? Or are you above that? Are you going to join Jesus in his table fellowship? Of course, you and I, we know. We need Jesus. We need his fellowship. We need his forgiveness. Mm. I don't know about you. I'm thankful that he has found me because I was lost. And yes, so were you. But he has found us and he's called us. Thanks be to God. All right, everybody. I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. We have a rather short chapter, chapter 16. Uh, but God's blessings to the rest of your day.